So welcome to series two of Tripod, our regular video podcast series in association with the SIVA Group. I'm Martin Moody. I'm Roger Jackson. Roger, great to be back with you for series two. We had a lot of uh, very positive feedback to series one, and I know we got some great guests uh, lined up for series two. Uh, you feeling good about it? Yeah, it's great to be back, Martin. I think our industry is in a far stronger position than it was when we uh, finished season one. Uh, great to be back for season two. We've got some unbelievable guests this year as well. Very exciting, and I can't wait uh, for everyone to hear those uh, podcasts. It should be really good fun. Oh, it's going to it's going to be good indeed. So, uh, talking about great guests, perfect segue. Shall we bring our very special Irish guest in for today? Yeah, let's bring him in. So this episode's special guest, a very special guest, I would emphasize, and someone we've been wanting to host on the show ever since Roger and I began Tripod, and therefore a great guest for our opening episode of Series 2 is Barry Gagan, an irrepressible Irishman who walks, talks, probably sleeps duty-free. It's a channel he loves and in which he specializes, of course, in the wines and spirits category. His passion for and knowledge of which I consider just about unrivaled in our industry. And I reckon, you know, if there was such a role as ambassador for Global Duty Free, then today's guest is that person. Barry is founder and commercial director, Duty Free Global in his native Ireland, company created way back in 2010, and which has become synonymous with innovation, energy, uh, willingness, I think, to champion independent family business and much more besides. He's got a heck of a portfolio. We might hear about some of that today. And he's a heck of a character. Barry Gagan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Martin. Really delighted. I've just been saying to myself, I, I've really enjoyed this series and you've done a great job. And, you know, through the through the year, uh, it's been such a, the last two years have been so tough for us all, but this has been something I look forward to. And what you've done with the virtual got us all back on you know, speaking together. And really, I think the industry appreciates that. So never underestimate what's happened in uh, the last two years. You, Hats off to you and Dharma for that. Good, good for you guys. No, thank you, Barry. Well, it's been a tough old grind for all of us over the last two and a bit years. And hopefully 2022 will just be that little bit brighter. I'm going to kick off, Barry, just before passing over to my co-host, Roger. I just wanted to talk about your bloodline in Duty Free, Barry. It's a very proud one. I knew your dad. I knew him well. He's a, I'm showing my age in, in, in Duty Free. But Mick Gagan, of course, was one of the pioneers of our industry. He was among the team that went out to, to buy Duty Free and set it up from Air Inter. Um, and he had an outstanding career, of course, with ARI. Just tell us about that paternal influence, Barry, if you will, and, and when and how you came to know about our industry. Yeah, so I, I guess I was brought up in it. Um, my father was always, um, before Arinta, he was Aer Lingus, uh, and he actually worked in JFK at one stage, and my mum was an air hostess. So growing up where I grew up in Dublin and Malahide was a very much an airport-themed, uh, most of the careers had something to do with it. A pilot was a next-door neighbour, and you know, most of the people were air hostesses. And back in the 60s and 70s, that was quite glamorous. So dad was the very first employee of Airin to International. So he's business development. So he does what Sue Kelly and the team are doing these days. So dad wasn't a retailer and he never proposed to be a retailer. His job was to 
knock on doors, small country, he said to me, but we've got a, a big heart when it comes to overseas and culture. So he said, we probably, we've, because we've never really had, a, had an empire or a colony, we've always had this view that we can talk to people and be very, treat them as, as equals. And dad said, that's one of the strengths of, of the culture. So be, be, because the industry had started in Ireland, uh, there was there was a quite a proud specialization. They felt they could go there and talk very comfortably about the, the duty-free channel. So dad's job was, uh, he visited 88 countries, so it was really extensive. And this was, it wasn't just duty-free, it was like selling fire services and selling other ancillary revenues, but just basically going to airports and uh, around the world. Uh, he spent a lot of time in Hong Kong um, and did, did was part of the, the Beijing business. He spent time going to Russia. He spent time going to Africa was one of his main um, areas that he visited. And then the Dubai thing, which, as I say, he just gets the door open. And then the, the geniuses of Colum and George and Sooty, and they build it. So he basically understood that that was his role. So it was in the DNA. Um, but growing up, everybody in Ireland knew what duty free was. You can't get on a plane and not come back with a duty free bag. It was just part of the journey, part of the experience. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned Malahide, actually, Barry. Last time I was there, guess who I was interviewing? It was Dr. Brendan O'Regan. Oh, I remember, yeah. I remember going to his home, the great founder of Duty Free back in 1947. I went to his home and we went to the local, you'll know it, the local hotel, and we had a very, very memorable lunch. A couple of years before he passed, Barry. Oh, nice story. Nice one, Martin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, um, it is. It's it's you know we're so close to the airport. It's 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 a it, it really the local economy very much relies on it. And you could see it during COVID. It was tough because everybody was at home and nobody was getting on planes. So you feel it in a small population when so much of it's reliant on the on the airport economy. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to pass over to my much younger and much better looking co-host now, Roger. Over to you. <laughs> I'd be younger, Martin. I'm not sure about the latter. Um, <laughs> Hey Barry, great to see you. You too, Roger. You too, always. Yeah. It was nice to see you in Cam as well. So um, I know we caught up a few months ago. Um, I guess the first question I've got for you, Barry, is about wine. Actually, um, my first interaction with you was probably around wine. Actually, and I know obviously you've now moved on into spirits and the rest of the portfolio, but. Tell me a bit about where your love of wine came from. I heard about your father and I, I obviously I knew he was, um, you know, big in travel retail. And I knew there was a history there. I didn't realise he was the number one employee of every answer international. So I've learned something new. But where did your love and knowledge of wine come from? Because um, I know you're very passionate and I also know you're very knowledgeable as well. Yeah, I, I started off after university, I did economics in UCD, and I started off working in banking in London, and it wasn't for me. Very quickly, I knew it wasn't for me. So uh, I couldn't wait to get back to something that I actually gave a damn about. So I um, basically, I had a colleague friend from yeah, uni whose family had a Spanish trading business, and they were doing things like ceramics from uh, Spain, steel from Bilbao. And they had a small hobby in inverted commas where they imported some wine and olive oil, but they didn't really know what they were doing. And they just said, look, you're a young graduate. Would you be interested? I was literally 20 at the time in a little Peugeot 205 van. And I was literally doing the deliveries, going to knock on doors of restaurants. And it was Spanish only. So it was called Ibra Wines at the time. And then around 91, two years later, when the currency crisis kicked in, the, their main construction business was really in trouble. 
and the company went uh, into liquidation. So I managed, I don't know how I convinced the, the liquidator that I should buy over the asset of the wine company and try and turn it around. So I don't know, I, I literally hadn't a bean, but I managed to convince him. And my first thing to do was, even though I absolutely love Spanish wine and still do to this day, because I've been so many times to Rioja and to all the regions, that I turned the, pro, uh, the business, not just Spanish, but to include um, Chile and Australia, New Zealand, France. And I you know, literally drove down in that same Peugeot 205, drove down to Bordeaux for Vin Expo and went to see the people, realized that this was a product that you know is about life, about culture, about local cuisine. It really is a living product and it's nature and it's, it's, it's agriculture at the end of the day. So really fell in love with the subjects, started to do studies, uh, started off in the, you know, the appreciation courses. Then I did the diploma. Then I finished the diploma. I did the master of wine the first year. And then after the, I didn't finish the master of wine because Orla then turned my wife, uh, who I met in UCD, turned around and said, she's expecting twins. She said, you are not going to spend another year traveling to the UK. You're getting your get back home here and help me out. So I didn't finish that at the time. But what I did do was I um, went and did a wine MBA, uh, which was in five universities, uh, Bordeaux Business School driven and uh, University UC, UC Davis, California, University Catholica Santiago, Chile, Hale Business School, Tokyo, and then University of South Australia, really international. And after that, I did a lot of lecturing. So I was doing for the WSET diploma students, I was doing uh, lectures for 10 years for the Bordeaux lecture, which is one of my favorite regions, the business of wine, which is definitely my favorite topic, how to lose money or make money. It's all about that at the end of the day. And then the new world wine. So a bit of legacy stuff uh, with Bordeaux, a bit of where the world was going, and then a bit of the, what's the practical side of the wine business. So really just an amazing subject. And that's why I ended up uh, knocking on the door of travel retail, because I thought, is there an opportunity for somebody who loves this product to come into this channel? And uh, I tipped my toe in the water. And um, that's how I ended up moving from domestic because I was the sales director of one of the biggest importing companies in Ireland, but 5 billion people, you know, it's tiny, it's, you know, size of greater Birmingham. You need, to, you need to spread your wings a bit. And I thought travel retail because of the family heritage and I kind of had some good contacts and uh, through the family connections, let me go and check it out. And I literally, as you said, in 2010, I flew to Singapore just on the wing and just see, knocked on doors and see, would there be an appetite for a, a wine specialism in the in the channel? And that's how it started. That's how it started. And how do you go about selecting your partners? I know you've got plenty of great partners and some of them are good friends of mine, actually. Yeah. And I know they all enjoy working with you. Uh, but how do you go about selecting them? Because we all know it works both ways, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question, Roger. I mean, funny, we actually, this is, I, I, they don't know this, but we actually have a scorecard. And I don't mean that the word Germanic about it. We're not actually very, we're typical Irish, we're pretty chills. But all we do is the first thing that the heaviest weighting is compatibility. If we like each other and think that we could go for a beer with them, then they'll probably want to work with us too. It's kind of compatibility is the driver. I mean, and then realism and expectation is about you know, it is, it is a channel that some people might over-egg it and think, oh my God, the volumes must be enormous in travel retail. They, they don't just get the balance between visibility and the importance of the channel from a brand life cycle. So when we get the balance right, that's where we really find the right partners. Because we do, um, in, in a very humble way, I'd say we get a lot of people asking, could they participate in the portfolio? But not everything will work for for because we are a, we're a unique bunch. I mean, I hate to say it, and I you know people don't like the word club, but we are a club. We all watch each other's backs and very loyal to each other. And I love that side of it, which you know, you know, when I was in the just pure wine business, 
go to all the wine shows and that was your it was wine 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 we all had some common theme what i love about this is my some of our friends are, are in fashion or in perfume and cosmetics or in, and, and we're all equally helping each other out and watching each other's backs we're like a traveling circus when we travel if somebody has a is, is ill we all rally around them and it's an incredible bunch of people so i've really i could never see myself doing anything but this um forever now and at the moment one of my sons Max is doing an internship with us as well at the moment and he studied Mandarin in university and he's he's just actually got a job at Kerry Group so he's just doing this but they're all looking at this industry going wow what what a eclectic bunch of people that you guys meet on a regular basis and lovely people as well we're 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 very very we're blessed to have such a good good bunch of people in our in our friend circle. Yeah, you're right. I've, I've been in the industry 13 years and I've known you all of that time and it wouldn't be the same place without you. So uh, don't, don't go changing industries on us, Barry. No, absolutely. <laughs> and, and look, Roger asked you about your commercial partners, Barry. You, you mentioned your family and so I'll just touch on that briefly, if I will, your, your life partner, Orla. Yeah, yeah. Um, she has a business with, yeah. with an interesting name, Max <laughs> Benjamin. Um, there's a story there. I know it, but some of our listeners might not. So quickly, just tell us about that. Yeah, my wife Orla, we met in, in UCD in first year, um, so for a long time together. Orla comes from a very entrepreneurial family. Her father, Hugo, who's a great mentor to me, he, um, uh, she has started a business. Uh, she went to the States and she started working in a, in a candle store. And then at nighttime, she said, can I go and see where the factory where you manufacture? Very inquisitive mind. And then she thought, I'm going to open a candle business. And at the time, she called it Oberg because her family name is Vandenberg. We thought Oberg is kind of half Irish. She's Irish, but her father was from Belgium. Um, and then her brother Mark said, yeah, the brand name isn't great. And at the time when our twin boys were born, uh, they were called Max and Ben. Mark came up with the idea of calling the brand Max Benjamin. And he's not called Benjamin, it's just Ben, but this sounds better. It just sounds like a more of a, a global brand than Max Ben. Uh, and that, when that happened, we had only two sons. And then uh, three years later, Sean came along. And I, the, the, the joke in the trade, as Martin is referring to, is when everybody is out in Gary Maxwell, who we went to his 60th and, uh, recently in, in, in um, Celtic Manor, Gary would always do the joke to the forgotten son, because partly because Sean's name isn't on the brand name, they give me a hard time. The son that Barry doesn't love, and we do. And of course, we should come up with another brand name for Sean, but he's now forgotten. It's just, he wasn't born then. That's the real truth of the story. But I get such a hard time from the guys in the industry for calling a brand after two of your three sons. So yeah, wow. I deserve it. And order, yeah, and that business now is, um, yeah, they're they're really, you know, they're really doing well internationally. And they're, you know, they've, they've got candles, they've got fragrance, they've got diffusers, they've got really, really, and it's a very premium brand. It's like, it's in, it's in a lot of the high-end stores around the world in Harrods and Portman Mason. They've done a good job which is rare from Ireland because Ireland usually is just famous for whiskey and Guinness and yeah, cream liqueurs and not necessarily for producing quality uh, fragrance products. So it's quite unique what they've done. Yeah, great story and probably explains why Barry Gagan burns the candle at both ends, I suspect. <laughs> for, whom? for one night only. <laughs> yeah, I, I, can, I can confirm that's true. Um, <laughs> I get you mentioned a mentor actually. I think you mentioned your father-in-law as a mentor, um, and I know obviously your dad must have been a huge mentor as well. Who would you say your key mentors or influences have been along the way? I mean, not that I'm being politically correct. I have to. I, I'd say there's tons of them, but I, I mentioned some names because you'll know them and you'll know why I'm mentioning them. Um, if I just look, think in my head, 
everybody's been so fair and kind and helpful. This, it's unbelievable in this industry. When I first traveled, I went to Singapore. I met, I met Jane Grant, John Sutcliffe, and John Syme for lunch. And that was my first travel read. And they said, okay, you know him, you know, they, they kicked it off. Middle East, Colum and George have been unbelievable. And of course, Sutty has continued to be fantastic support and really helpful. Then if I go to Asia, uh, Sunil has been unbelievable. Jonathan Ch Chaps Holland, unbelievably generous their time. We've traveled to countries together, unbelievable. Harry Cartasas, who's really a lovely, lovely man as well. He's been fantastic. James Kafori down in Australia, unbelievable help. You know, no, nothing is a problem. He'll go out of his way to walk from one side of a show to the other to introduce you to somebody you didn't know. Uh, if I think about in Ireland, Spillane has been, David Spillane has been unbelievably good mentor for me over the years. He, you know, ex-Nestle, Parmanan from Butler's has been fantastic. Jane, I mentioned Jane Grant. Catherine Bonelli has been fantastic in France for, for that side of the business. And then I go into, in America's, Patrick Nielsen, Roger Thompson have been fantastic. Stevie Corrigan's been amazing. Uh, the Pasternak family, phenomenal. I mean, honestly, there's so many John Gallagher down, in, uh, down south. And then my own team, Natalie and John Martin and Kerry have all been phenomenal. So really it's, it's a combination of the network. If you're, if you're good to the network and if you respect the network, they'll really help you. And they genuinely will give you a leg up. And I think, so I would say they're all mentors because they all have specialism in different regions or in different products. And it's just, it's a family that rises at all types. And that's that's how I look upon it. And that's genuine. They, they really do support you and they really care. And they really, you know, they rock up for your birthday and they rock up for significant. And if something if something happens in your life, they're very supportive also. So it's it's a ton of mentors, but it's a ton of energy. And um, absolutely Martin and Dermot have, are, are right top of that list. I mean, unbelievable what Dermot and Martin do when I start. I, I, I'm humbled by it. I mean, emailing people that I'd never heard of and, you know, literally going out of their way. It wasn't about commercial gain for those guys. You guys were way, way above the, you know, way above and beyond the call of duty. It was phenomenal. So thanks to Martin and Dermot particularly for that also, sincerely. Yeah, and I, I can only echo that as well. I think we're very lucky to have, I, I know the majority of those people, you mentioned Barry and some of them I don't, but I think we're so lucky if we were talking about a domestic uh, on-trade or off-trade business here, that just doesn't really exist. There's a bit of that still, but you know, unfortunately, most people are just looking out for themselves. And I can only echo, I've had very, all the majority of those people have really supported me as well. So uh, I, I can only agree with that. Um, Whilst we're still talking about the industry, what would be your one wish for the industry if we could, you know, if we could change things or improve things? What would be your one wish for our industry? Um, I'd be very direct on this. I'm, I'm, Martin has done admirable work with the Trinity Forum and bringing all the different stakeholders together. And, and I think that's phenomenal. And it's the way to go. And it's absolutely the right thing to do. But to be honest with you, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm not a... An operator but i can see the benefits of sharing information and as far as i'm concerned i just think the the whole thing about the mags and the whole thing with the concession model is outdated in my opinion i think the idea that people sit in silos and don't share what they each know to help each other i mean if ever there's a time in our lives when we talk about this thing we're all of this together well actually let's act it because we, we sure as hell have to be we're never going to increase penetration rates we're never going to increase average transaction value unless we share. And the only way to share is joint ventures. Joint venture model for me is, in my humble opinion, is a better model. You're all in it for pain and for gain. 
start off, you know, with a much more level playing field. We know there's going to be, you know, peaks and troughs. There's going to be speed bumps in, in the future. But the truth is, if you've got a joint venture model, you're all focused on the same thing, the same bottom line. You take my expertise, your expertise, bring them all together and add them together and make something better. And then there's no issue with GDPR and data. It all of a sudden becomes part of the same structure. So why sit in silos and say that I could help him here, I could give him more space to activate more, and I could help him here and tell him that those passengers will never buy that because they don't, that's not their passion. Share and we'll all, the tides will rise. Terrible penetration rates, 15% is lousy. It's not acceptable. We've got a captive audience, we're not hitting them. The only way to hit them is change the models. It, joint venture is a lot more, and you can do short-term joint venture or long-term joint venture. The cost of setting up a company is, isn't prohibitive, and people just don't want the bureaucracy and the red tape of it. But in my opinion, the industry needs to stop this. The Trinity Forum is absolutely spot on what Martin and Dermot are doing. You've got to share, and you only wait to everybody benefits from sharing and nobody benefits from sitting inside us and we've been doing it for years and the industry will not thrive unless we realize we talk about it let's and and, and again the, the clear thing there is the digital way of, exp of, of of communicating the relevance of the channel to the younger generation before during and after the journey it can only happen if it's if it's a joint venture approach sharing all the different stakeholders assets it has to happen it can't just be you're a retailer you stick to you stick to your knitting no we all have the same goal is to increase the revenue in order to make international flights and cruise business and order business more profitable and more efficient we know infrastructure costs money we know the state has to spend a lot of money but if you don't change that i just think honestly it's broken record for me i'm oh, not again guys please you know, tying somebody into a, a guarantee when there's no guarantees in this world anymore. We just saw that the last two years. It's rubbish, in my opinion. And I, I, I'm, not, I'm not the person that has to go out to do these tenders. I think the model's outdated. I think joint ventures is the way to go. And I think some of the operators think that way. And I think good for them. And I'm not going to, you know, I don't want to be, you know, promoting one or the other. I think they're, they all have their merits. But the bottom line is there is a captive audience which we cannot tap because we're all sitting inside us. So if we get our heads out of that, maybe then the industry will, we already have the numbers of packs. We just don't have the way to appeal to their sensibilities and make it relevant to make them purchase, just make it relevant. And that's the only way to do that is to share knowledge, I think. Absolutely. Well, that's a heck of a good wish. And never have those principles and, and values that you just espoused, Barry, been more important than right now as we start to emerge from all this wretched gloom of the last couple of years. So, so uh, bravo. Uh, yeah, and I, I, couldn't, I couldn't agree more with both of you. The thing I'd add as well is we're about to see this play out real life in Spain. Um, and I think that's going to be very, very interesting to watch, obviously involving Dufri and Aina. But we're about to see this play out. And I think we've got a chance, and I don't just mean from a duty-free perspective, I'm including Aina in this as well. I think we've got a chance actually for some pragmatism uh for everyone coming together and making that work and you know getting a good outcome for everyone but let's see what happens but i couldn't agree with barry more we talk yeah. about uh, penetration rates not getting above 12 percent hasn't moved for 20 years even though obviously passenger numbers are increasing and as passengers increase post pandemic if that rate percentage stays the same obviously we're just going to drop uh, in reality because more people are going through and we're going to be selling to even less um, and I think the Spanish case study is going to be a really interesting to, one to watch later this year uh, because we've got a chance to start fixing this. And I, I really do hope there's some pragmatism from 
all parties involved there and we get a good outcome for the industry. Yeah, it's going to be very, very interesting to see how that one plays out. Well, Barry, we're going to, we're going to move away from the industry in a moment and take you to our resident duty-free desert island. But um, just as a segue into that, um, I want to just get or give our viewers a, an insight into some of your interest outside work. I was priming Barry the other day, Roger, about this interview, and uh, I did suggest to him that I that I'd heard that he was a, a, a real Manchester United fan, and and I, I I sent steam coming out of my my laptop all the way from Ireland. So you better put the record straight on that, Barry. Yeah, I'm massive, massive sports fan. Um, well, first of all, anybody wearing a green jersey, I'm with them 100% Irish rugby, Irish football, the dubs in GAA, all the obvious things, Leinster rugby. But um, in terms of football, um, yeah, my team has been since first game in 1976 has been Liverpool and they are not Manchester United, Martin. They are our, they are our rivals. Um, and I have to say, uh, yeah. I quite enjoyed them being rivals, especially especially in Cannes this year. I enjoyed enjoyed the time me and Tav were high fiving the whole time. We had particularly good results when we were there in Cannes. I think that thereafter Cannes is a blur because that was the highlight. Um, now I've been a Liverpool fan forever, and before you know, back I said seventy six, my dad took me over on a Viscount. Remember, he was from Dublin to Liverpool, and I actually could get into the cockpit, even though it was only an hour's flight. I remember it well. It was my first pizza, and it was my first time in. Uh, Liverpool was amazing. It was Keegan, Callaghan, all the old Liverpool team. Fabulous. I loved it. Massive Celtic fan as well, as uh, most Irish people are. But um, again, they're the two clubs that I would go and uh, support and love the history of the clubs and love the, you know, what they stand for. I mean, great result for Liverpool last night. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's just a passion. My kids are equally, my wife blames me for that. Uh, they, they literally watch the preseason friendlies and they'll stream it if they can't get it on a video. Yeah, sport is is really, really big thing for me. It always has been. And I, I played a little bit of sport and played a bit of football just in the, the, the Irish League and the League of Ireland. And, but it was great experience because even as a kid, imagine being a 17-year-old student and getting a check for playing something you love. It was a tiny check, but it was enough for a few beers. And that's like the best beers you ever had in your life. You kicked, you played this game of sport and you got, you've been given something for playing. That was a really great experience. But yeah, no, Liverpool is, is, is my team in football for sure. And, and Celtic, those, those two guys. All right. Who did, you, who did you play for, Barry, and what position? I played for UCD. So the university team, UCD, are in the League of Ireland, and they gave them, at the time, they were, I, I was on a soccer scholarship program. So basically, it meant that they paid for my fees and all that sort of good stuff. But it was great. Like we toured, uh, we played, um, played the Singapore national team in the national stadium, played the Pi national team. We toured Western Australia. We won the World University Championships in New Mexico. It was amazing. So you're only 17, 18, and you're traveling around the world playing football. So it was a decent standard. It was uh, it was League of Ireland, which is not like it's not a very very high level. It's getting better at the moment, uh, but it was well, it was the highest standard we can play here. It was great. You're playing, you know, some of the games. Um, the first game I played actually was against Derry City, and I was marking Dennis Stewart. He's from Man City. I remember remember he wouldn't shake my hand because I, I put the ball through his legs and I shouted nuts. He didn't like that. Just having a bit of fun. Just having what, a bit of fun. What position? I was midfield, right side or centre midfield. But um, I think as I got older, I probably went back to full back because I didn't have the pace to do box to box anymore. But uh, it was a great, great experience and uh, really enjoyed it. But love all sport. And, you know, I, I mean, that during lockdown, when they started, the sport came back as well. It was such a focus for everybody. We needed something live as opposed to watching recording stuff. It was great. And that, that kept 
kept the spirits high for everybody during the, during the tough times you've gone through. Fantastic. Oh, great, great story, Barry. Well, look, we, we are, as promised, going to take you to our resident desert island. It, of course, enjoys duty-free status, and we're going to give you a very well-earned break uh, for all that work you've been doing. And we're going to give you some creature comforts, of course, as we Fantastic. do a little bit <laughs> Barry. So I'm going to pass back over to you, Roger. You've, you've uh, sailed the boat into the desert island um, and about to provide Barry with some creature comforts. So Barry, you're on your island and the first item you're allowed is one book. Uh, which book would you read, uh, which book would you bring and why? I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm the sort of guy that gets on a plane and reads The Economist short snippets. I'm not a really good, I don't, I don't read fiction. I love biographies and I love sports biographies and, and history. Uh, I prefer, I genuinely prefer reading snort snippets like the Moody Davitt report. I'm not just saying that, Mark. I genuinely do. That's just my that's just my focus. I'm not good because I'll fall asleep after four pages or I'll, I'll stick in the music. So it probably would just be, it'll probably be something like that. It'll probably be a sports biography. I had to choose a book, but I'm just, I'm not a great book reader. I'm much better at just listening to podcasts. And this is more my thing, to be honest. I, maybe it's my attention span or my age or something. I don't know, but um, yeah, that's, that would be, sorry, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not in the, the, the book club guys, I'm afraid. Oops. No problem. The next one, I'm sure you will have an answer for us for, uh, given your history of your father and your job now. Duty-free item. I'm going to give you two because I don't think we could let you go without picking a wine. Oh, so great. what one non-wine duty-free item and what wine duty-free item would you pick? <laughs> okay. Um, I probably, um, nothing against all the other categories. I know Hervé from Chanel will know that I do love that particular brand. And he always, because we're on the TFWA committee together and he knows that's my, and he goes, keep, keep wearing it, keep wearing our brand. Oh, yeah. um, but generally speaking, that's my only treat would be to me, uh, but then be something. But typically, typically, I always buy duty free. It doesn't matter where I go in the world because it's, it's kind of like, you gotta, you gotta do what we preach. Um, I would probably, from a wine point of view, I could go back to my history of Rioja, and I love Rioja, Cune, and Muga, and I'm really proud of some of the wines we work with. The Taylor's Wakefield Cabernets are amazing from the Clare Valley, and I love some of the Kiwi Pinots, Martin, as well. There's some fantastic, but probably if, if I was really pushed on a wine, it would probably end up being Bordeaux because, you know, it just, if it's, if it's a good vintage, it just seems to hit that spot, and it's, it's just, it's everything. It's it's food. It's culture. It's family get-togethers. It just has that memory as a child. It's probably my. I've got a few favorites. I'd have to go left bank and right bank, but you're only allowed one. Le left bank would probably be Chateau de Crubacayo because I love this San Julian. I love just the, the combination where it hits about sixty percent Cabernet, sixty-five percent Cabernet. Um, so it's a little bit easier, a bit softer than the, the Santa Steffs. Uh, and then if it was the other bank, it would be something like Chateau Petit Village, Pom uh, Pomerol, soft Merlots. So I just, I just love wines that are ready. And that's one of the challenges of Bordeaux that you have to cellar them and you've got to have a decent cellar to put them, to lay them down. Whereas that's why Rioja works because Rioja is ready to drink. Reservas, Crianza, good to go. When you, you, they do the investing for you in their cellars. So that's kind of one. And it probably is, this, so the wine would be a Bordeaux. Uh, and I know I should pick another product, but I'm going to stick to, I'd probably go for um, a whiskey because I'm now really, I've gone from being not quite, not knowledgeable to really learning a lot about it. And of course, I love the pot still Irish whiskeys. I'm really loving those. But recently I've been really exposed to very, very good 
bourbon and we're working with Sazerac they've got an incredible portfolio and I've tried them all and, the, and I'm literally been investing and I mean I'm trying to buy them on sites and stuff just find them really good and again I think bourbon does the same job at Rioja it's got that sort of you know that that beautiful flavor that caramel flavor that smokiness it just it's easier and um some of the wheated bourbons from Weller I just love so say a Weller 12 would be Desert Island because you can sip it and share it with more people because the wine, if, if Martin is with me, will be gone in 15 minutes. The, the bourbon the bourbon might last a little bit longer. So it just, you know, keeps the, that Desert Island going a little bit longer. So so probably be a, a Weller 12 and a Ducru Bukayo if I had to pick two. Sorry for all other categories. Should have been supporting you, but next time. Um, the only thing I disagree with, I'm not sure how long the whiskey would last. Um, <laughs> but I, I agree with everything else if you and Martin are <laughs> on the island together. Um, so you've got your book, uh, well, you've got The Economist or Moody Davitt. Oh, Moody Davitt. You've got, your, you've got your wine, your whiskey. Uh, what music, uh, what album, what one song would you take with you? Well, Martin knows that I'm a, I'm a big muser, so everything from Beatles to Dylan to Bowie to the, them all. But but uh, being from Malahide, there's two of the U2 members are from Malahide, Edge and uh, Adam are from Malahide. In fact, Adam is from the same road. So uh, it's 100% U2. I mean, 71 gigs. Uh, love them. Absolutely think there's nobody else rocks it live like they do. I mean, the Stones do a good job, but not, not as good as U2. So biased because they're Irish and biased because I've seen them so many times. But it would probably have to be you too. But the, the, if I was to pick one song, I'm sentimentally I I would pick Raglan Road because um, you know it's got a, it's got well the Luke Kelly version or even the Sinead O'Connor version, but it's such an amazing song. And uh, Martin and uh, did a lovely tribute to my mom when she passed um, recently from COVID uh, with that song. And I have to thank Jess and John Howells because they put a beautiful back track to they really put a lot of work into it got a lot of friends from the industry and thank you for all who did that tribute it was really touching and my brothers were just blown away by it but it was really special and again back to the whole duty-free family thing so kind of raglan road and it's kind of it's it's very haunting irish and it's it's poetry and 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 music at the same time and irish ballads are kind of just childhood memories and my dad used to love you know they, they, they they'd all know he would he and he, he'd always put out the whiskey and start to sing songs. So that's kind of part of our culture as well. So it's got a, it's got a happy memory for me. So that song, so yeah. And it's, it, it resonates with the, the, the recent, the recent two years as well. So that would be the song and it will definitely be you too would be the band. No, no, absolutely. Forever, forever. On Raglan Road in an autumn day, I saw her first and knew that her dark hair would weave a snare that I might one day rue. Absolutely. Beautiful. Beautiful and haunting words, aren't they, Barry? Um, great memories. Wow. Great memories. Yeah, no, it's funny. I, I kind of, when I'm in town, I actually walk down Raglan Road, uh, especially when it's when it's autumn and just to see it. Just, I think I sent you a picture, Martin, the last time I did it. I just took a picture of the leaves. It's weird. It's 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 not the streets. It's just that the memories are just, they're just great. They're great. And they're, yeah, it's, it's, it's what it's all about, sitting around with friends and just reminiscing on times past. And it's lovely. It's lovely. And I guess that's what Ireland's famous for the the poetry and and, and music as yep. well. Something we're we're very proud of here as well. Very proud of. Yeah, lovely. And I, I that one I do agree with. Um, unbelievable choice. Um, and finally, on the desert island, um, it's time for a party. Um, so you've got a dinner party. You've allowed three guests, either historical or living. Can be family. Can be celebrities. Can be whoever you want. Uh, who would you like as your three guests? 
Well, I'd love I'd love um, to sort of balance it. So you know, because you know, parties like that are about people you respect and understanding what made them tick, and then also about having fun. So it's got to get the balance right. So the first person I would pick would be somebody who I hugely respect for his incredible work for peace in this country was John Hume. Uh, and John Hume Sr. And by the way, John Hume Jr. would be equally good company, not a gentleman, takes after his father. But John Hume was just an incredible man, pacifist, didn't believe in the gun, believed in the, you know, you can talk and you can negotiate. Huge respect. In our country, he's kind of like our Nelson Mandela. We think so much of him. And he really, really went above and beyond the call of a politician and sacrificed so much of his own personal time. for. So I'd love to sit there and chat to him. I have had the pleasure of meeting him uh, before in Derry. And uh, just think what a great, great guy. And, um, you know, for any culture, any, you know, Nobel Prize winner, all of the above. Uh, the second person would be industry specific. And it's funny, Mark, you mentioned him, would be Brendan O'Regan. Because I'd love to hear, you know, you know, we're sitting there, we're thinking the Americans are getting off the plane. They, what We should sell them stuff. I'd love to hear what, what his brain was thinking when he thought of the duty-free business. Because, you know, it was just, it was such visionary. I mean, I know there was stuff going on with the with the boat planes before that, but that was really the first airport opportunity, and it really kick-started this whole industry. As we jokingly say, hashtag you're welcome. I have to keep doing that more often, Martin. We've been told all the Irish are going to keep saying, hashtag you're welcome to the industry, but I, I'm not good at doing that because we're, we're not good at being arrogant. But uh, yeah, so Brendan O'Regan would just be fascinating to hear his story, and I, you know, genuinely would love to hear it. I mean, I know London Supply were doing something in the port of Argentina in Buenos Aires, but this was the airport. This is the first time an airport really kicked it off. And so great respect for him. And probably to finish with, I just, as I said, need a bit of fun. I'd stick Billy Connolly into the mix because I just, you just, you just be falling off your chairs laughing the whole time. Even when he speaks, I start laughing. Before he even says anything, I start laughing. Even when he does his silly goat. I just think a bit of humor like that would be important for some of the dinner party. We can, we can save the world with John Hume. We could have you have to save the industry with Brendan O'Regan. But Billy Conley would just have you falling off the place and we'd be enjoying the wine and the whiskey and enjoying life and celebrating all the good things. Just a very funny personality. And, you know, everybody's favourite comedian. I just think he's one of the funniest people. When you saw him in Parkinson back in the day, oh, geez, tears, literally tears running down my face. It's so funny. Yeah, I think he'd, he'd add a bit of, bit of colour to that lunch, for sure. For sure. Well, that sounds a heck of a dinner party. And I know a lot of other people would love to get into that party with you Barry you're a very respected guy in our industry you're also very popular and very popular for the right reasons it's the way you carry yourself it's the way you help others it's the way you always look out for others it's the way you always do things not necessarily by the textbook but by the book in terms of sound human values um, and I think there's probably not a country in the world that you can't go into and and uh, share a pint or a good glass of wine and, and good company because you're very, very admired, I would say, in this business. And to quote your beloved Liverpool's famous anthem, Barry Gagan, I think you will never walk alone in our business. And it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, Barry. Roger and I have huge admiration for you. I know I speak on behalf of um, viewers, as we now can call them, of the Moody Davitt um, report and tripod all around the world and saying that. So stay well. I know you're on the road relentlessly um, right now, traveling a lot. So stay safe, more particularly Barry, and, and uh, may your God go with you and may you stay well and may your business prosper.
Many thanks, Mara. Thank you for inviting me along today, guys. And I love this format. Keep it going. It's great fun. I actually can't wait for the next one and to keep watching. So it's a lovely idea. Great. Well done, both of you. Happy New Year to everybody. Cheers, guys. Roger, what an amazing man, Barry Gagan. The big BFG of our industry is. Wasn't that great? It was fantastic. I think we're both really lucky, Martin, to call Barry a friend. Um, I've been in the industry just under 13 years. And even though he didn't know me at first, he treated me like an old friend all those years ago. We're very lucky to share a mutual friend, the Kiva um, McCabe and her family, the McCabes, are very close to Barry's family. So we share some friends. Uh, but what a guy. Some stories I didn't even know about him, being a professional footballer uh, or semi-professional footballer. So um, I learned a lot more about someone I would have already called a friend. But yeah, it was a great, uh, great guest. I've never met anyone in our industry that's that's is irrepressible. I think that's the the right word for for Barry. And just got so much energy, hasn't he? He's just tireless. If you could if you could bottle Barry as a as a EDP, I think it'd be a it'd be a great seller and spray it on all of us because it would just imbue us all with with that kind of energy and that and that spirit. So now it was really great talking to him and. Roger, I look forward to seeing you back in a couple of weeks. We've got some very interesting guests, very diverse guests coming up. So look forward to that. Meantime, stay well, stay safe in Dubai. I hope your business is going well. And uh, from me, ladies and gentlemen, it's uh, goodbye. See you next week. See you next week.